Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the History Today podcast for June 6, 2012. In this episode... Julia Lovell discusses the legacy of the Opium Wars. Julia Lovell is the author of The Opium War, Drugs, Dreams and the Making of China. And in the June issue of History Today, she delves into the archive to reappraise a piece from 2002 on the Opium Wars. She speaks here to History Today editor Paul Lay. Julia, this is basically a story that you outline in the book, The Opium War, Drugs, Dreams and the Making of China, which is one of remembrance or not, in the sense that the Chinese simply can't forget the Opium Wars, um, and the British seem as though they barely remembered them at all. Indeed, and when I was researching the book, I think this was one of the most confounding aspects of the process, that in Britain and in China, it really does seem to be a tale of two wars. In Britain, I think our role in the opium trade and the fact that we fought not one but two wars for opium against China in the 19th century, these episodes are very little known or understood. It's uh, certainly when I was going through the educational system, it would have been very easy for me to go through a history curriculum without ever encountering these events. Perhaps the perception has long gone that in our busy imperialist 19th century, China and the Opium War are sideshows relative to our imperial activities in places like India, Africa or the Middle East and so on. But in China, by contrast, the Opium War and the opium trade perpetrated by Great Britain remain a national wound. Chinese people from a very young age, they learn through textbooks, monuments, museums, documentaries and so on about how the British pushed opium on the Chinese people in the 1830s and how when the Chinese emperor declared war on this British scheme, they learn how British gunboats arrived in China to rob China of tens of millions of silver dollars and also uh, to rob China of its economic independence in the first of many unequal treaties. Um, so in the Chinese imagination, uh, in Chinese 
thinking. The opium war is one of the founding episodes of modern Chinese nationalism. It begins what almost everybody in China knows of as the century of humiliation, which begins with the opium war and ends 100 years later with the Japanese invasion of China during the Second World War. And so the opium war therefore marks the start of uh, China's struggle to stand up as a strong modern nation against a bullying outside world. And I suppose on the other side, on the British side, it's again the sense of shame that, that informs it too. But, or, but in that sense, it makes us forget it. It's a very interesting question about why these particular events have been forgotten. I think some of our colonial misdeeds we remember quite clearly. I suppose I'm thinking here about, say, the slave trade, or then again, um, we have, I think, a strong sense of centuries of institutionalised racism implemented in territories such as India. So I'm, it's, it's, I, I'm, I, I find it a curious fact that the opium trade, which was so economically central to the rise of the British Empire in, 19th century, in the 19th century, has come to be so relatively neglected. Um, some historians have pointed out a rather arresting detail that the rise of the British Empire in the 19th century coincides very precisely with the rise and expansion of the opium trade. And similarly, when the British Empire starts going into decline after 1900, roughly, again, this period of decline coincides very closely with the winding down of the opium trade. So economically, opium is absolutely key to the expansion and the maintenance of the British Empire. Britain has quite a good tradition in, so far as imperial history goes and history of empire goes, so it does seem odd, um, this, um, this gap in our knowledge. Um, I wonder, I mean, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone else, and it seems as though so many people are trying to catch up with China's history given China's uh, new prominence, both culturally and economically. I wonder if you could just give us a very brief outline, I know this is quite challenging, of what the Opium Wars were. The, well, the, the first Opium War, which is the focus of my book, was fought between 1839 and 1842, and in both Chinese and Western historiography, it has become the first emblematic clash between China and the West, and specifically between China and the British Empire. Um, and what this war has been seen as doing is dragging China violently for the first time into a modern uh, Western-dominated global system. And the backdrop to the uh, outbreak of hostilities in the late 1830s is the prodigious rise in sales of opium grown in British India, uh, then shipped over to China uh, and sold just off the South China coast. So to give a sense of the rise of this trade, uh, in around 1800, British traders are shipping something like 4,000 chests of opium a year from India to South China. 
by 1839, on the eve of the war, this figure is something like it, it, this figure is approaching 40,000 chests a year. So we've seen a tenfold rise in sales. The dynasty in charge of China at that time, the Qing dynasty, were understandably concerned, first of all, about the, the, the moral, the socially destabilizing effect of the booming drug culture on China. But they were also very concerned about the drain of silver that rising opium sales represented. Um, they were worried that Chinese consumers and merchants were spending too much of the country's wealth on this addictive narcotic. So in 1839, the Qing emperor Daoguang declares war on opium and the opium trade. He sends a special commissioner down to the center of the opium trade in South China, a man called uh, Lin Zexu. And Lin Zexu acts quickly and decisively. He confiscates some 20,000 chests of opium that British traders have brought into China and destroys, these, uh, dis and destroys this drug. When the British government hears about these events a few months later, they decide to send a fleet off to China to avenge the insult to the national honor, but also to recover the cost of the lost opium. And the war then lasts for the next two to three years. It's uh, a long and often quite grisly affair. It's not a particularly fair fight. The British have at their disposal some of the most advanced weapons and boats available in the world at the time, whereas large parts of the Chinese army are still using bows and arrows, swords and spears. And the British strategy is quite simple. They want to take Nanjing on the east coast. This is because this is where the Grand Canal starts traveling up from the East Coast, which is China's great rice bowl, up to the capital. So effectively, any power that holds Nanjing holds the great Chinese empire by the throat. And this is what the British do. By August 1842, they have their guns pointed at the city of Nanjing. And the Qing Emperor Daoguang has no choice but to negotiate. And in the Treaty of Nanjing that concludes the Opium War, he hands over compensation for 21 million silver dollars in compensation for the destruction of the opium and for the expenses incurred by the British in the expedition, uh, and also Hong Kong. So Hong Kong becomes British as a result of the first opium war. Uh, so Hong Kong, as we know it today, would not exist without opium and the war that Britain fought for it. Thanks, Julia. That's a brilliant summary of it. And for those who want to um, who want to read more, um, I can wholeheartedly recommend Julia's book, The Opium War, Drug Streams and the Making of China. It's one of the best, most illuminating history books I read last year. Um, so thank you, Julia. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our thanks to Julia Lovell for that interview. You can read her piece in the June issue of History Today, which is out now. You can also now get the magazine in our new tablet edition, which is available for iPad, 
Android devices and Kindle Fire by visiting www.historytoday.com forward slash app. You can also listen to previous editions of this podcast and comment on anything you've heard today by visiting www.historytoday.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.